You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We've been talking about just about some key principles that we really need to understand and kind of walk in uh, in our journey, our walk, our growth, our relationship with God. And, and as I've stated, these principles really are, are vital, not only in terms of, of our spiritual growth, not, not just in terms of coming into a greater awareness and intimacy with Father God, but these principles really are designed to help us in learning the best way to kind of respond to uh, struggles, uh, our sin, our failure uh, in our lives. And the first principle we kind of talked about here was spiritual immaturity and rebellion. They are not the same thing. God does not see them as one and the same, although oftentimes they will manifest themselves in similar ways. Many Christians kind of wrongly believe that they're being rebellious before God when in actuality it's just spiritual immaturity. It can be a huge mistake and potentially a very destructive deception to view ourselves as rebellious when in fact we may just be experiencing spiritual immaturity. So it's important to make this distinction. Are the sins, are the failures, the struggles in your life, are they rebellion against God or is it simply just spiritual immaturity? And one of the key factors in really kind of determining uh, whether it's rebellion against God or spiritual immaturity is to ask yourself this question. Are you crying out to God for forgiveness, for deliverance in those areas where you're struggling, those areas where you have failed, those areas of sin in your life? Or are you crying out to God to just get away with it? Don't let other people find out about it so you can do it again. Spiritually immature people are those who are concerned about their failures, their weaknesses, their sins, hurting, interfering with their relationship, their walk with God. They want to be forgiven. They want to be delivered in those areas where they struggle, where their weaknesses uh, kind of flare up, where the sins are. They want to be delivered of that. They want to live honorably before God. They, wanna, they, they want to honor him with their lives, whereas rebellious people couldn't care less. It doesn't matter to them, although they will kind of give an outward appearance that they do. That's the first principle. Second principle for spiritual growth, if we're gonna walk in greater intimacy with God, is we have this absolute assurance. We have this confidence that God enjoys us, that God delights in us, in our spiritual immaturity. God takes no delight in the rebellious person. He loves them. His plans, his purposes for their lives remain unchanged. But he takes no delight, he takes no enjoyment in our rebellion. 
Whereas God does find, he finds enjoyment. He takes great delight in those who are spiritually immature, those of us who are weak, those of us who are struggling to live lives of righteousness, lives of obedience, lives that honor him. God takes delight. He finds enjoyment of us in our pursuit of him, though we are weak and immature. It's the only way that we will find the strength, the courage, the motivation to go forward, to grow and to deepen in our maturity, in our walk with God, our intimacy with him, to believe and embrace the fact that God thoroughly, completely, fully enjoys us and delights in spiritually immature believers. God does not He does not withhold his love or his enjoyment or his delight until we kind of reach a certain level of maturity. As I've talked about, there's no dividing line that you kind of have to step over where you go from kind of being despised of God to suddenly now God likes me, he enjoys me, he delights in me. We just have to come to that place where we finally, fully come to peace and rest that God enjoys me, he delights in me, even though I am weak and I fail. This is kind of where we left off last time, so I wanna just push into this third principle, and that is God's enjoyment, his delight in us is not the same as his approval of everything we do. So let me stress something very, very important here. Some people hear this statement that God enjoys us, that God delights in our our weaknesses and our spiritual immaturity, and then they draw the false conclusion that that means God approves of everything we do, we think, or we feel. This is obviously not the case. Again, I just want to emphasize, God enjoys, he delights in weak, struggling, immature believers, but at the same time, he can disagree or or disapprove of a certain sinful area or attitude that we participate in, but it doesn't cause him to withdraw his enjoyment or his delight of us. Is this making sense? I know you lost an hour of sleep. God sees areas, friends, in every one of our lives here this morning. I don't care how long you've been a believer. I don't care how long or deep you walk with the Lord. There are going to be areas in our lives where we're gonna struggle, where we're gonna fail, where we're gonna come up on the short end. that God does not approve of, but it will never ever nullify his enjoyment or his full delight in us. And this false conclusion many believers come to is that if there's just one area, 
I mean, you can have a hundred things going right with God, and there's just one area of your life that God doesn't approve of, then God does not approve of you. And again, this is black and white thinking, and it is disastrous. We make the flawed conclusion that partial obedience is total disobedience. Does that make sense? This is not how God sees us. There are areas in all of our lives right now where we're walking in full obedience and there are areas of our lives right now for, for various reasons, fear, disbelief, shame, that there are areas of our lives this morning where we may be walking in areas of disobedience. Part of God's plan and goal for our lives is that we would come to recognize those areas where we are disobedient, where we're struggling, and we just begin to repent of that. We begin to turn from that, and we turn to God, and we begin to call out for his help rely on his strength, his courage, his grace in us. But folks, it never, ever affects, it never changes or alters how God feels about us. His love never diminishes for us. God can and he does fully, completely, totally enjoy and delight in us while we are in the process of being delivered and freeing us from those areas of sin, disobedience, and maturity. God doesn't love us just when we're delivered and, and kind of spiritually mature, but God also loves us and enjoys us in that process of deliverance, that process of, of obedience, that process of growing in spiritual maturity. As a parent of, of six kids, our children have areas of weakness, of immaturity, of stumbling, of making bad choices. And if you're a parent, you can say the same thing about your kid, but at no time do Janie and I, as parents, never do we withdraw or close our hearts to our kids. We, we don't stop supporting them. And neither does our heavenly father towards his children, no matter where we are at in that process of spiritual maturity. God can, and he does, and he forever will fully enjoy and delight in us even as we are growing in areas of obedience, as we're coming out of areas of disobedience into obedience. God is enjoying and delighting in us through that process. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, it is a deep well of this profound truth. The father in that story, and Jesus talks about the father's extravagant response. When that son who had been feeding pigs, when he comes home and he, he's coming with a repentant heart, it says that the father sees him from afar off and the father runs. 
There was a, there was a song a long, long time ago. Um, it was called The Only Time God Ran. And it was based on this story that when God saw that prodigal son, filthy from feeding pigs, it says that the father ran to him. And, and his response was to kill the fatted calf, to clothe him in fine robes, put shoes upon his feet, give him a signet ring that he could now again do business in the name of his father. And, and he does all of this without the father approving of his son's life of wine, women, and song. Rather, the father secure in his love for this lost son patiently waits for the opportunity to reaffirm and to lavish his love upon this wayward son because nothing changed in the father's view from the father's position regarding his relationship with the son. His love never changed, it never diminished. And what the son discovers in this story there in Luke 15 is principle number four, and that is God's disapproval of an area in our lives brings divine discipline. In those areas where God disproves of an action, an attitude in us, while he continues to enjoy and delight fully in us, God's response oftentimes is to bring us into a time of divine discipline. Principle number three, again, is that God can, he does enjoy people who are weak and spiritually immature while at the same time disproving of those areas, those actions, those attitudes in their life. Principle number four simply says that in those areas of disapproval, he is going to bring in divine discipline. Now, if you are like me, if you have a background like I do, you need to listen to this carefully because I believe for many of you in this room this morning, this is an obstacle that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God's love, his grace, his mercy for you. God's divine discipline in our lives is a declaration of his overwhelming love and passion for us. Some of you have not experienced divine discipline in that way. But it is a declaration. It is a manifestation. When God is disciplining you, it is a way that God is showing his great passion, his great love for you. God's discipline, that divine discipline, it's not like the discipline we may have experienced from other people. The conviction, when, when we feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit over something that we have done, and we feel that remorse, we feel that grief, this is actually God's gift to us. It's an extension of his goodness. Many believers, again, despise the Lord's discipline because they have equated God disciplining them as God is out to get them. God is out to even the score. God is out to punish me. 
when the truth of the matter is God's pursuit of us to free us of our sin, of our weaknesses, of our struggles, is an extravagant picture of his love, his kindness, his mercy, and his goodness. The very goal, the heart of God's disciplining those he loves, his children, is again to free us from the things that hinder his love from fully and freely flowing in us back to him, flowing freely in us and through us to others. Divine discipline is one of God's tools to remove the things in our lives that hinder his love from operating and manifesting in our lives to free us from the snares that Hebrews talks about, those, those sins that so easily trip us up and entangle us in our walk, our relationship with God. And so when we begin to kind of see God's divine discipline from this vantage point, we will realize that the divine discipline from God, that that is intimacy driven, not punishment driven. There's a huge difference when we can begin to see the discipline of God that it is not punishment driven. It is intimacy driven. It is freedom driven. It is deliverance driven. The driving motivation of divine discipline in sinful, rebellious areas of our lives reveals God's ownership. It says, you're mine. You're my son, my daughter. I love you. But there's an area that's hindering my love from flowing freely in you. And I, I want to free you from that snare. I want to bring you to a place where you reflect my righteousness, where you reflect my glory, where you reflect my goodness to greater and greater degrees. And through divine discipline, God will also make a way for us to escape, to find his grace, to receive his mercy, to be forgiven, to be freed. Many people, again, we shy away from this. A lot of believers shy away from this concept of, of divine discipline because we've either seen and or been the recipient of discipline that has been extreme, harsh, and abusive. Yet the scripture makes it very, very clear that one of the tools that God uses in the life of believers to teach us and to train us in righteousness and holiness is divine discipline. And only with God is he able to use discipline in a way that will perfect us. Hebrews 12 gives us both the purpose and the need of God's discipline in our lives. If you have your Bibles, Hebrew 12 beginning in verse five, and it says, and you have been completely uh, and, you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Stop right there. I want you to notice before we go any further into this, what is he about to give you? A word of encouragement. Many of you take God's discipline as a word of discouragement. 
Writer in Hebrews is preparing you and saying, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? God is about to give you a word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. Now, if you do not hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying as a word of encouragement, then you're not hearing it correctly. Amen? It says, my son, my daughter, my beloved, do not make light or don't take lightly the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. There were so many times that I lost heart when I was being disciplined as a child. So many times I came to a place of great discouragement in my relationship with those who disciplined me. The problem was, was that I brought that into my relationship with God. So every time God would discipline me, every time God would rebuke me, guess what happened? I lost heart. Because I did not see this. I did not understand this correctly. So God had to do a work in my heart to, to take this as a word of discouragement and bring it to me as a word of encouragement. And we'll get to the encouraging part here. Because the Lord disciplines the one he what? The one he what? Loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Again, it's a measure, it's a demonstration, it's a declaration of his love for you. I did not equate that with human discipline. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as one of his children. Man, I can take heart. I can be encouraged that when God is disciplining me, rebuking me, chasing me because of things I've done, because of areas of weaknesses and struggles and sin, I can take heart. He's treating me as one of his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Right, or say, if God doesn't discipline you, guess what? You're not his son or his daughter. Because moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But contrast that, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in what? Holiness. That we may share in holiness. There's a purpose to it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen? Amen. I mean, none of us like that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
Divine, again, divine discipline, it is one of the ways, it's one of the tools that God uses to try to remove the things from our lives that are hindering us, that are blocking his love from fully, completely operating in our lives, to free us from the things that so easily, the sins that so easily entangle us, that trip us up in our walk with each other, in our walk, our relationship with God, the story again of the prodigal son there in Luke 15. God uses a great famine that comes upon the land as a, as a means of divine discipline in the life of that prodigal son. And it's through this divine discipline, this famine, the prodigal son, it says he kind of comes to his senses. He has kind of this aha moment. He wakes up to reality and, and he realizes he could have it so much better in his father's house. And the scriptures acknowledge in Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Amen, we've all experienced that. If sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it but we derive some kind of pleasure from sin for a season, so we'll do it. There was a, a season of pleasure in the sin of the, of the, of the prodigal son. But you may remember once the money ran out and the friends deserted him, the fun came to kind of a screeching halt and reality set in destitute, poor, hungry. He makes his way and he starts feeding pigs and he's kind of reaping the consequences of his sin, his rebellion, his disobedience. The son's sin, in that sin, he was just brought to this place of just great destitution, feeding pigs in order that he might pursue the life that he had chosen. And again, that's one of the ways God's discipline will, will manifest itself in our lives. God will use those circumstances we have chosen to go into, but God will use it because he says he's committed to using all things together for good. And he'll use circumstances in our lives that will make those rebellious those disobedient, those distant places from him seem so displeasing and revolting and repulsive to us. God will cause, he'll allow the effects of our sin, our disobedience to come to the point that finding comfort in those areas of our lives is no longer comfortable, it's no longer beneficial. He will bring the situation to a point where finding comfort in him is more pleasurable than what we're finding in sin. This is built into the very fabric of every sin. It may be pleasurable for a season. There's always a negative consequence built into every sin, every act of rebellion and eventually, those consequences are gonna come to the surface. We need to see God's divine discipline in our lives as a declaration, a manifestation of his great love and passion for us. 
The fifth principle for spiritual growth in our walk is divine correction is not divine rejection. When God disciplines us, he is not rejecting us at the same time. God's discipline in our lives, it is not a statement of his animosity or rejection of us as his children. Again, it's a statement, it's a declaration of his passion, his commitment, his love towards us and his desire that righteousness, holiness prevail over every area of our lives. A person under divine discipline is a man or woman in whom God fully, completely, thoroughly enjoys and delights in. Are you getting this? His discipline is not him writing us off. Rather, it's the exact opposite. It is his seal, his pledge of ownership, passion, and commitment to you and I. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I will not leave you orphaned even until the end of the age. That is exactly what he meant. Jesus doesn't retreat from us when we are under divine correction and then once we get our act together, you know, or, or, or God kind of simmers down, God kind of calms down, God gets control of his emotions, then we can enter back into relationship with him. He is ever faithful, ever constant, ever present in our lives, even in those times we are experiencing divine discipline and correction. Those of you that know me know this is a tough one for me. Because growing up, discipline and rejection were tightly, tightly linked to one another. Whenever I would be disciplined, especially by my mom, I would usually feel a very, very strong sense of rejection with it. Whether it was intended or not, I felt it strongly. There would be times where my mom would be so angry with me that my mom would go days where she would not speak a word to me. I remember times sitting at the dinner table, if she wanted something that was by me, she would say to one of my siblings, could you ask Jeff to pass me the mashed potatoes? It was that strong of rejection. And that usually would last for several days until again, my mom kind of calmed down, until my mom kind of got over whatever it was that she was angry about. And then I would kind of be able to kind of come back into, you know, her good graces, but it, it wasn't that at all. It was just kind of a lull until the next act of disobedience on my part. And then it would, the cycle would begin again. So I carried this same pattern, the same approach into my relationship with God. And every time I sinned, every time I felt like I disappointed God, every time I failed God, I just felt this very strong sense of rejection. 
and I would kind of just walk away from God, and, and I would just kind of wait a week, a month. I guess it depended on, on the severity of my sin. And then I would kind of just slowly kind of just begin to kind of walk my way back to God. I'd, I'd start reading the word again. I'd, I'd maybe kind of just start praying a little bit just to kind of get a, get a feel for, you know, God's emotions. Is he, is he still mad at me? Is he still rejecting me? So I really, really have to work hard at this area to understand that I am enjoyed. He fully delights in me. His love for me is unconditional. It is never ending. And I will never, ever be rejected, no matter how severe the correction or the discipline, he will never, ever reject me. And so many of us equate God's discipline and correction in our lives as his rejection of us. And this is not the case at all. But rather, is it, it is an expression of his delight his enjoyment of us. I wanna just close with this, Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord corrects those he what? Loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I, I just wanna minister to that place this morning. Maybe like me, for some of you here this morning, maybe you've experienced God's discipline. Maybe God is working to correct areas in your life this morning. And like me, maybe uh, there's just been a period or maybe you're in that period right now where, where when you kind of feel um, God's correction or God's discipline, that you kind of have interpreted that as, as his rejection of you. And, and like me, uh, God wants to work in that area God wants to begin to bring freedom. God wants to begin to renew our thinking. And that's what God had to do for me. And God's in the process of doing that. Because if I'm not careful, that is my default with God. Man, I failed God and, and, and I just kind of go into this place where I just want to isolate myself from God. Where I don't want to run to him, I want to run from him. And so maybe that's kind of where you're at. Maybe that's kind of how you deal in your relationship with God this morning. But I just want to, I want you, I want you to know the good news of the gospel. He loves you fully, completely. He knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it does not change his heart, his attitude towards you. He is fully fully committed what he has begun in you, that good work that he has begun in you, the scripture says he is committed to bringing that good work he began in us to completion. I am in process. Jim is in process. Pam is in process. Dan is in process. We're all in process so I just wanna just uh, invite the worship team to come back up this morning and just those of you that are willing and able to come and pray this morning just to be ready. So I just wanna, again, I just wanna open that up this morning. If there are, again, those of you that, that you kind of feel that this morning that, you know, there's just areas where maybe God has rejected you.
because of actions or attitudes. Again, I just, I feel like God wants to just, again, bring that renewing of your mind, that God wants you to begin to kind of experience the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of his love. Not just know it. For a lot of us, we know God loves us. We just haven't had that experience. The scripture says God wants us to experience his love. Not just know about it, experience his love. That's what we're gonna pray for this morning. Father, we just again thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. We thank you for the reality, God, of who you are, of how you see us, how you relate to us, that you love us fully, completely, as we are. So Father, this morning, I just pray if there are people here like me, that God, when they fail you, God, rather than run to you, they run from you. Because God, they're sensing rejection. And God, we know that that doesn't come from you. So Father, this morning, I just pray, Father, that you again would just begin to move upon the hearts of those of us this morning, Father God, that again, perceive or respond or react to you in that way, God, when you're bringing that divine correction and discipline upon our lives, God. That God, your spirit this morning would just begin to work to begin to soften, to begin to bring correction and renewal, that you would begin to just bring freedom into those areas this morning, Father God. That God, this morning, that maybe if we're distant from you this morning, that God, we would see you this morning running to us. Running to us this morning, Father God, because of your great passion for us, your great delight in us this morning, Father God. You're running to us to rescue us this morning, to deliver us this morning. God, this morning, we just wanna yield to that. We wanna respond as a son, as a daughter to our loving Heavenly Father this morning. So we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.